Hello, and welcome to another episode of You Can Manage That, a podcast for first-time managers who want to level up their leadership skills. I'm your host, Chris Asper, and if you're a first-time manager who is reading everything they can to learn how to become a better leader and are still confused and overwhelmed, then you need to listen to this episode. Joining me today is Alina Zviderskaya. Alina is a leadership coach and a creator of an Empowered to Lead program. She draws from her 10 plus years of a corporate career to help organizations become better places to work by turning managers into leaders and tapping into innate employee strengths to create a culture of passion and full engagement. Alina, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's amazing to be here. So Alina, can you tell the audience a little bit more about your journey? My, my original plan ever since I was a teenager was to become a psychologist. I read one book on psychology, fell in love with it, and I always wanted to become one. And I actually was fully on my way to becoming one. I was doing Bachelor of Arts at McGill University, focusing on psychology. And that's where my husband and I found out that we were going to have twins. <laughs> it was a big surprise for both of us, pleasant surprise, but it put us kind of in this crossroads. One option was to continue working towards my dream and do another seven years towards PhD or do something more practical and take care of the family. So that's the, the plan B was, and I spent over 10 years in the world of finance and accounting. First of all, I have no regrets of doing that. I've learned so much and I've learned so much about the corporate world. I've learned so much about finance that actually came in really, really handy when I owned my business. But what I've realized is that throughout the time that I was not able to use some of my best strengths as much as I wanted to, and I didn't feel the passion that I really wanted to feel at my job. And so when I moved from Montreal to Toronto, that was the chance for me to go back to something that I really, really wanted. And that's where I became a leadership coach. Because when I look back on my, on my career, I realized that I had so many different experiences working with different leaders. And it really shaped my experience at work. Some managers really brought out the best in me and really believed in me and helped me really try challenging things and grow and enjoy my work. And some did the opposite. So I really wanted to help and help managers become leaders like that, that can make a difference for their employees. So that's where I am now. So can you describe the type of work that you do then with companies and leaders? My biggest focus right now is working with leaders and helping them build a strong leadership foundation so they can feel supported themselves, so they can feel confident, so they can enjoy their work day to day. And then in turn, they can support their teams and they can help their teams enjoy their work as well. Because we all know, yes, there is a company culture, but there's also a microculture. And because a lot of our interactions at work happen with our managers, that microculture is really determining factor of if, whether somebody enjoys their work and wants to stay or they're looking for other opportunities outside of their current organization. That's so true in, in terms of what you said there about how important the manager is that you can have a great overall culture, but if your experience of your manager isn't great, that is the more determining factor of someone's satisfaction at work. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you talked about the strong leadership foundation and that's what you help people build. Can you help us understand why that strong foundation is so important? When it comes to leadership, leaders are guides. That's how I see leaders. Leaders are guides. They're helping connect what their teams are doing 
to the bigger organizational goals. So they're helping companies reach their visions through their employees, right? So that they're kind of a bridge in between. And when I say stable foundation, this is the skill sets, the mindsets, the habit sets, something that creates this environment when there's clarity, when people know how they work together. So there's that the sense of alignment and clarity. And when this happens, everything becomes easier because as we all know right now, there is the sense of overwhelm. People feel that they're working more. There's unpredictability. There's continuous changes. That's the new reality for all of us. And that stable, solid foundation that everybody's aligned on just makes it so much more manageable. And it builds this resiliency over time that is really, really needed. Amazing. So you do a lot of work with leaders and I'm curious from your perspective, what specific mistakes do first-time managers make that keep them stuck and struggling? The one thing that comes to my mind, and I wouldn't even say that it's a mistake, but I think it's just a common thing that's lacking, I would say. And it's the transition from being an individual performer to becoming a manager. Because it takes a specific and I talked about it earlier, it's the mindset, the habits, and the skills that it requires a certain transition in all of them. Mm. And when there is no transition that happens, new managers continue doing what they used to do. And they continue using the strengths and the habits and the skills that got them promoted in the first place, which is absolutely logical, absolutely normal, right? But what happens is that focus stays on the individual. So basically, it's it's me. I have to prove now that I'm a good manager. I have to prove that I'm competent. I have to prove that I'm worthy of that promotion. So the focus stays on the individual. So what happens? The new managers are afraid to show any signs of vulnerability because it, it can send a message that I wasn't deserving of the promotion in the first place. There is a pressure to know all the answers. There is a pressure to really prove to everyone that they are good, that they're competent. In fact, what needs to happen is that focus needs to shift to the team. It's a completely different role. It's You're no longer responsible for your own results. Your responsibility as a manager is now for your team and for your team's results. So the, the spotlight needs to move to your team. So now you're more of a guide. You're in the supporting role, helping clear the obstacles, clear any barriers that your team is facing. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest things that's lacking. And it makes a difference between managers having clarity and confidence in their new role and feeling like an imposter. Yeah, they often do feel that way. I loved how, how you articulated that there's this journey in mindset, skill sets, and habit sets they were successful in as an individual contributor, and now they have to develop different ones as a people leader. I love how you explained that, which is was great. And I'd love to talk more about that. So if you don't mind, let's talk about that transition then and what's needed. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of the mindsets, what's the new mindset that a manager needs to adopt? I think overall, what's really needed is adapting growth mindset because mindset serves as a key to unlocking certain things and the team and then the manager. So what happens when leaders adopt growth mindset, they have a different relationship with failure. They have different relationship with mistakes and setbacks in the first place. And they adopt an idea that whether you have certain skills or not at the moment, doesn't mean anything. You can develop them. You can grow from any point of your career, any point of your skills, you can develop them. Just because you don't have some natural abilities right away doesn't mean that you're not fit to be a leader. So that that is a really important component of being an effective 
director because it affects the whole team, as I mentioned. So when we have somebody in a leadership position who has a fixed mindset, and the fixed mindset implies that whatever skill set and talents you got, that's what you have. You can really change them. Mm -hmm. So then in that environment, any setback, any failure becomes devastating. So then there is a huge fear over any sort of failure, right? So then the leader is afraid to admit any mistakes because admitting mistakes means that I don't have what it takes. And when your leader is afraid to admit any mistakes, avoids them like the plague and tries to find other people to blame, or maybe it's circumstances, then it affects the team. Now, everybody on the team is afraid to admit mistakes, afraid to admit failure, looking for other people to blame. And so you can imagine that has an impact on the level of trust that people have, the engagement, the innovation, the willingness to, to take risk and innovate. They're all very low. So the first mindset that leaders need to adopt is growth mindset. Hmm. Excellent. And so you talked about, you know, what happens when the leader has a fixed mindset and always worried about themselves and proving themselves and the benefits of a growth mindset. How does one develop that growth mindset? What are some ways to develop that? One thing that really worked for me is really understanding the research and science behind it. Because our mindset, we develop it on intuitive level, right? It's, it's a gut feeling that we have. Maybe it's something that we heard from our parents. Maybe it's something that we heard at school, being graded at school, and then maybe put in a specific category of talented and untalented, you know, especially when we talk about IQ and kind of having those notions. So sometimes we need to, first of all, become self-aware around, well, what mindset do I have? Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful book that really changed my life personally, and it's by Carol Dweck, and it's called Mindset. And it talks a lot about, first of all, being aware of what mindset do you have? And for me personally, it was a big discovery when I did a little test and I realized, oh, I have growth mindset in certain areas of my life, but I have fixed mindset in other areas of my life that are preventing me from taking some roles or pursuing some opportunities or even dreams that I have because I don't truly believe that I have what it takes because I don't have natural talents in certain areas. So first it starts with self-awareness, realizing which mindset do I have? And it, it involves looking back at certain situations and the relationship with failure and answering honestly, you know, to certain questions. The book called Mindset by Carol Dweck is a fantastic place to start because not only it gives you tools to assess that, but it also gives so much information in terms of data and research that backs up the fact that mindset can be developed. And the skills can be developed and it gives so many different case studies in different areas of life, including leadership. Hmm. Book is one thing and this is great, but it's also, it also involves surrounding yourself with people who believe that. And now in our digital world, it's easy to connect, have access to biographies and blogs and meet other people. And the more people with growth mindset you surround yourself, especially as a leader, the more normalized it becomes. If you're a new leader, you need to be aware of your mindset and making sure that you develop a growth mindset. And Alina just mentioned a book called Mindsets by Carol Dweck. So if you want to go check that out, I'll leave a link in the show notes. So mindset was one of the things that you said. The second thing you said was skill set. So what are some essential skills for a good leader? In terms of the skill set, for some reason, all the skills that come to my mind were starting with C. <laughs> First of all, I think the biggest skill that comes in handy for leaders is creating clarity for their teams. 
clarity or lack of clarity is one of the biggest cause of issues at work, poor performance, poor relationships, unnecessary conflict. So whenever a leader is able to create clarity for their team, it makes everything much, much easier. So it starts with helping your team get clarity around their role. What is it they're responsible for? What is their domain of authority? How they contribute to the overall goal. So first it starts with that focus of what I'm doing and why I'm doing this. Hmm. But it's also then around specific performance expectations. When we have a clear understanding of what is it that we're doing and what is the benchmark of, of great performance, it's so much easier for us to get there, right? And the failure and success, they're all relative to what was expected. When we don't know what was expected, it's much harder for us to get there, right? We can run a five kilometers, you know, in 35 minutes, and it can be a complete failure if we expected to do it in 25 or a complete success if we were expected to do it with 40 minutes. So it's, it's leaders' role to create that clarity. And whenever I talk to leaders, even with leaders themselves, a lot of struggles and overwhelm and stress come from lack of clarity around their roles. We talked about the transition from individual performance to a leader, and that's also lack of clarity sometimes. When individual performers become leaders, they don't necessarily know what's expected of them. So it's also asking for clarity for themselves and providing clarity to their teams as well. And so this is probably one of the key skills that leaders need to have, but there are many different ones. Yeah. So let's talk more about that. So you're thinking of C's here. So there was creating clarity (laughs) and getting clarity for the people on their team, but also for themselves. What would you say is another skill set? Another skill set would be coaching. So the earlier leaders decide that they need to be coaching their team members, the easier it's going to be for them because coaching serves different purposes for leaders. So so coaching is, is a tool that allows leaders to really understand their team members, to learn more about their team members and understand their unique strengths. Because I'm a big fan of strength-based leadership and people are the happiest when they get to use their strengths. So when leaders really understand what their unique strengths of every team members on their team, and they're able to create opportunities for their team members to use their strength. The engagement of the team improves significantly. Also, this is where the relationship is built. The Hmm. trust is built because coaching is not just about, hey, let me tell you all the things that you did wrong. No, it's really about, let me learn more about you as a person. What makes you passionate? What do you enjoy the most or what bothers you? So it allows almost keep an ear to the ground and really understand what's going on with the team. It also allows to help support every team member in the way that's needed for them and understand what sort of environment they need to do their best work. Coaching is really more about becoming a guide versus being directed. It's really about asking questions and then listening to the answer and really giving the space for people to express themselves. And how would you recommend that someone learn how to coach? I think, of course, there is a component of the theory that goes beyond this, because in coaching, there are specific principles that will make this more effective. So, for example, one of them is the skill of asking questions and then pausing and giving the space to answer. When I was obtaining my coaching designation, one of the rules we kind of followed is as a coach, you need to speak 20% of the time and 80% of the time is for your coachee to express themselves. And that's how you really go beyond the obvious answers. 
by asking questions that go deeper and allow somebody to explore what's really going on and really self-reflect on certain things. Even when we're talking about, you know, performance issues, there's one thing when we tell the person, here's what I expected, here's what went wrong, here's what you need to be doing next time. It's very different than if we ask somebody, well, tell me, what do you think went wrong? Or what did you learn from that experience? Or what are some of the things that you can try next time? So by doing that, coaching helps them really learn the skills to later on help themselves, right? And so one of the things, of course, it's the theory of coaching, but there's also practice. Being a coachee and having a coach really helps because it helps leader to experience coaching and experience what's good about it, what's not so good. So they learn from experience of being on the other side of this. Also, there, there is an, a formal learning, like for example, programs that I do with leaders involve specific modules, how to become a coaching leader. And there are certain skills like asking questions. So learning how to ask questions that lead to self-awareness and self-reflection and ownership and then practice without expectation of this being perfect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if we go back to your mindset, there definitely needs to be a new mindset when you're learning coaching. You know, the mindset that the manager doesn't have all the answers, the employee has the answers. Sometimes they may not, and so you need to step in and provide training or teaching. But for the most part, they will have the answer, and you got to learn that mindset as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a really good point. Coaching also can be a flexible tool in the sense that it can have different styles to it, depending on the situation. When somebody is just starting their job or they're starting their new task, or maybe there are situations where the risk of mistake is really high and the cost of making a mistake is really high. Your coaching may need to be adjusted to more of a learning style, right? It's more of a directive approach versus there are certain situations where you really want the person to extract some of the personal lessons and get more ownership than you will. Uh, they will use step a little bit back and then allow the person to explore more. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I've got creating clarity, <laughs> coaching. So what's the next C on your list of skills? I would say communication. Communication that can be, in terms of the communicating decisions, communicating expectations, communicating goals, because that's really is what drives the team to work. And it ties in together with creating clarity and coaching. It's how well do you communicate? And again, how effective you are at this, how emotionally intelligent your communication is, how do you address different situations. So communication is something that is a really powerful leadership skills. Hmm. And how would one develop or improve the way that they communicate? Well, first of all, I think it starts with understanding the purpose, understanding the goal of your communication, and then understanding how to best convey this message. When we do this in training, we talk about different situations. We talked about how to create clarity, how to make sure the message is complete and how do you make sure that it's polite in the circumstances, really trying to put yourself in the shoes of the person you're trying to communicate with and making sure that you have the complete information that you have, that you're providing that clarity to the person in front of you, depending on what you're trying to communicate and then practice, practice, practice. There are so many different information books and trainings available on communication. So understanding that communication is a key skill and putting time aside to be intentional about communication and not just saying, well, you know what? Communication, I'm just going to wing it. Communication, the more planning you do, the better it is, the better the result is. I 100% agree. You know, when you prepare, particularly for certain conversations, the outcome of that is going to be much better if you prepare versus if you don't. Absolutely. Especially Mm -hmm. anything that's complex, 
anything that's emotionally charged, any sort of feedback, any sort of challenging, difficult conversation, all of this needs to be planned as much as possible and really understanding what is the purpose of communication? Who am I communicating this to? And also thinking about what do I want to happen at the end of this? What is my end goal and the action? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then let's do one more C because I think you had one more C. Yeah, I think it's very important for a leader and for any high-performing team to learn to leverage constructive conflict because this is something that I see quite a bit in organizations. When we think about what great cultures look like, if we Google this, we see people hugging each other, smiles, thumbs up, all together. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a big misconception about what great cultures and great teams look like. Actually, high-performing teams learn how to leverage constructive conflict because it allows us to tap into the wealth of experiences of different people, get different opinions. It's what allows us to innovate and question how things are done. And the leader is at the center of this because leader sets the tone. And if the leader is always looking for friendliness and everybody's just getting along and really sweeping things under the rug, what happens the frustrations that are not being able to express and don't have the outlet to be expressed, they, they fester and they create the culture of gossip and backdoor politics and the leader is at the center of it. So the leader needs to help the team shift perspective, reframe the conflict from being the something negative and we're just fighting with each other to, to conflict being a tool for better decision making, for unlocking high performance and to actually bringing the team together and strengthen the relationship. And that starts with, again, clarity around what it means for our team to leverage conflict. How do we make sure that we prevent conflict that's unnecessary? And how do we instigate, spark some constructive conflict? And then how do we close it off? How do we deal with this effectively to get to those better results? So leaders play a really important role in that. Yeah. I mean, no one likes conflict, or at least in my experience, most people don't. And so a lot of people come up with an avoidant style of conflict. They avoid it yeah. at all costs. And that's sometimes not very realistic or practical, especially when you have a large team, there's going to always be people at differing opinions. But I like the word that you use, constructive conflict, that mm -hmm. conflict can actually be productive and it, it, it's possible for something good to come out of it. Absolutely. So what would you say is a way for people to become better at it? To become better at conflict? Mm -hmm. So one of the things for sure is, and it starts with reframing of what conflict is. Mm. Like you said, most of us avoid conflict at all costs because there is this association. And especially it comes from our families too. If, if we are part of the family or part of the culture that really values unity and connection and really doesn't like conflict. Like, for example, there are some families that have a rule. We don't raise our voices. We don't argue. We find a polite way to agree, you know, to agree and kind of go our separate ways. But what you mentioned also, we avoid conflict at all costs because there are costs to avoiding conflict, mm -hmm. right? The issues never go away. If there is something that bothers you and you're not able to express it openly, you may grow resentful. You may grow frustrated. You may feel undervalued, unappreciated because you're not able to express those things. Maybe you have this idea that maybe somebody's making a decision 
but you don't believe this is the best decision, but you were not given an opportunity to express that. And it actually can lead to huge problems later on, if not all facts are on the table, right? So the quality of the decision suffers. So it starts with reframing conflict from being something negative that needs to be avoided, especially in Canada. We are one of the most polite countries in the world to a fault. And so it's reframing to saying this is a tool. Conflict is a tool. And when you create a process around this tool, then it really becomes a habit. It becomes normalized. It loses its fear around it. So this is really alignment on reframing. And also then having a conversation and saying, okay, so what does constructive conflict look like? What is constructive conflict? We need to define it. You know, maybe, maybe for a team, it would be constructive conflict is anything where at the core of it, we're trying to find a solution together. Yes, we may sometimes raise our voices even, but even at the core of it, our main goal is to hear what everybody has to say and come to a conclusion together, to the best decision, the not constructive conflict. If the goal is to prove something to somebody, attack somebody or win at all costs, then that's a destructive conflict. So it's having that common understanding of what constructive conflict looks like. And also then recognizing we all have different preferences. We all have different styles. There are some people who avoid conflict at all costs. Mm -hmm. There are some people who survive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had a conversation in my leadership team just the other day in the group. We had different people. And there's one person who said, I'm from Israel. And for me, conflict, I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't feel threatened by it. And then there was somebody else who said, oh, my God, I would not do really well on a team like that. That just says whatever they mean. So recognize that we all have different styles and how do we handle that? And then how do we initiate conflict? So there's alignment and clarity that needs to be created around all of those things, almost like team guidelines around constructive conflict. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We, we've covered some skills. We've covered some mindsets. I think the last part of what you teach is around habits as well. What do you think are some habits that first-time leaders need to develop? I love talking about habits in, in personal life and leadership because I, I am such a big fan of creating habits versus setting big, ambitious goals. Just because, first of all, it's much to achieve because habits are usually smaller. Habits are something that we do on a consistent basis. And when we do it well, when we are thoughtful about the habits we create, they can make our leadership automatic almost. Right. So then thinking about habits, we need to think about what sort of identity do we want to have? I, I always try to connect habits to the identity. Okay. And this is another advantage of having habits, right? Because when we have a goal, we can temporarily achieve a goal, but then go back to our identity. Like, for example, if I'm a procrastinator, I, my habits are procrastinating on things. At the heart of it, I believe I'm a procrastinator. I can set a goal of meet the deadline of a specific project. I can achieve this goal. But if I believe I'm a procrastinator, I'm going to go back to my old habits the moment I achieve the goal. But so habits allow us to change our identity. And that kind of goes well with the growth mindset. But it's really starting with what sort of identity do I want to have as a leader? If I am the leader who creates clarity for their teams, what kind of habits do I need to have? So maybe it would involve a habit of, you know, once a year, we have a conversation where we align around what my team role is, or maybe it's every six months or three months, depending on, you know, maybe there is a lot of change and they need to do it more frequently, but that can be one of the habits. If I'm a coaching leader, 
one of the habits would be to have pre-scheduled one-on-ones with all my team members. And then maybe my habits can go even further. Then I would say, you know, I I speak only 40% of the session Mm -hmm. and I ask questions before providing my advice. So those are the sorts of habits that would help somebody become a coaching leader. Hmm. Right? For communication, we talked about it. Maybe the habit is before any important communication, I will sit down and I will define what is the goal of my communication? How can I prepare it for it? And what do I want to come out at the end of it? So kind of creating those processes and templates and rituals that make this, the leadership skills automatic. And what about conflict? One of my favorite ways to to become a leader who leverages constructive conflict would be for a leader to actually start some conflict, some constructive conflict in the meeting. And when it becomes a habit, when it repeats at every meeting or most meetings, then it becomes normalized and it becomes habit and then other people are more likely to follow suit. And so that can be to question things. For example, there is a discussion around certain project while asking, so what assumptions are we basing that on? Hmm. Then maybe it's around switching the hat and saying, okay, it's great for our department, but what about the other department? We signed 20 new clients. It's great for our sales department. What about the production department? <laughs> Let's switch the hat. And so kind of inviting this little spark into saying, okay, so are we missing something? Are we making certain assumptions that can actually jeopardize our success? So it's, it starts slowly with baby steps and saying, okay, let's not take things for granted. A really good habit for constructive conflict is for a leader to become an observer of the room and get sensitive and get attuned to those little signs of conflict that's being hidden and not being expressed. So when you, as a leader, sitting in the meeting and you see a few of your team members holding themselves back, or maybe there's something that they say and their body language doesn't match their words or their tone of voice, to actually stop and bring attention to those things. And you know what? I think we need to explore this a little bit more. I'm hearing a few different things. Can we go back to that? Can we question that? Mm-hmm. What is it that not being said that needs to be brought to the surface and create a safe space to do that to the team? Thank you so much. You really beautifully talked about how to be able to make that transition through mindset, skill sets, and habit sets. I feel like I've just been listening to a phenomenal LinkedIn learning course. So, <laughs> Alina, this is great. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about a lot of things today. What lessons or messages do you want my audience of first-time managers to remember? The first one is that leaders are not born. Leaders are created through development of skills and practice. And most people, vast majority of people, can become great leaders. So don't despair. And if you are struggling as a first-time manager, please know you're not alone. There's so many of other people struggling with all the same things. You're not unique in that way, and which is a good thing. And so looking for that support and being able to recognize those signs of struggle and where, when, and who to ask for support is really critical. But I think what counts more is the desire, whether you really want to be a manager or not. Not everybody needs to be a manager. Not everybody wants to be a manager, but it's what counts is that desire. Do you want to become manager? If you're passionate about it, you can definitely become a much better leader. Hmm. 
being a good leader requires those habits and skill development. And it takes practice. Do not expect this to be perfect. There will be days where it goes well, and then there will be other days where it's really not going well. It doesn't mean anything. It's expected to go like that. And it's really consistency over intensity. <laughs> I love this. I don't know if you've ever watched this a video of Simon Sinek talking about the importance of consistency and leadership. It's definitely worth the watch. So it's baby steps, small things, and they're sometimes more powerful than the big steps. Hmm. Excellent. Anything else you'd like my audience to know? What I see a lot is that it feels lonely sometimes when you are a leader. And that loneliness magnifies the struggle, magnifies the stress, because you can have support from your team, you can have support from your family, but it's very difficult to communicate exactly the responsibility and the struggle. So if you can surround yourself with other leaders who are in similar positions, so you can become co-mentors to each other, it makes the whole leadership journey so, so much easier. Mm -hmm. There is support out there. There's an African proverb that I'm misquoting, and it says, go alone, go fast, go together, go far. Uh, I'd echo that, that if you're a first-time manager, there's podcasts like this, there's coaches like Alina, there's other supports as well to help you along your journey. So encourage you, if you're feeling lonely, to reach out. So Lena, if someone wants to reach out to you, how could they find you? The best way to find me is through my LinkedIn. That's my digital home. That's where I post all my things, latest research, lessons from my leadership groups. So I would be happy to, to connect with any of you and hopefully add more value in the future. Awesome. And I follow Alina. She posts almost every day and you have some really great content. So if you are looking to connect with her, you can connect her with her there. What about your website? Do you have a website? Yes, it's alinasudiskaya.com. And that's where you can learn a little bit more about me as well. Cool. So link to her LinkedIn and to her website are going to be in the show notes. Alina, thank you so much for just sharing your expertise. I really think that first-time managers who listen to this episode are going to take a lot from this, especially those who may not necessarily have access to training or they're silently struggling. They need to know what they need to do to become better because they desire to be managers and they desire to be better. So thank you so much for just sharing a lot of your expertise and most importantly, your time with us today. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to You Can Manage That. For more information about Alina, you can go to www.alinazviderskaya.com. You can also check out her LinkedIn. Her full name is Alina, A-L-E-N-A, Zviderskaya, spelled S-V as in Victor, I-D like Delta, E-R-S-K-A-I-A. The link is in the show notes. I'm Chris Asper. For more information about me, go to chrisasper.com. And if you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast player. Join us again next time when we talk with other leaders and experts so you can manage that. Bye for now.